you know, there's going to be no intro this week. I thought about it. Maybe I'll have an natural. I don't know. But I'm going to get rock and roll on this. Welcome, everybody, to the scheduled edition of Conversation with Shelby Green. I'm your host, the main man, Shelby Green. And today, we got a little bit to talk about. We got some NFL playoffs to talk about. We got some, you know, some little basketball to talk about. And we got some things I got to address and talk about as well. So I got a pretty short but action-packed episode for you guys. So you're going to get right into the NFL playoffs. Wild card weekend happened this weekend. Uh, first game on the notice was the Texans versus the the uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns. Um, the Houston Texans took care of business. C.J. Stroud is that dude is a rookie, played well enough. Cleveland don't have a quarterback right now. It came back to bite him in the ass. Joe Flacco played okay, I guess. 34 uh, completions, forty six attempts, three hundred seven yards. A touchdown and two picks. He was sacked three. He was sacked four times. Quarterback rating fifty-seven. Quarterback rating for fifty-seven point one. And the thing I think Cleveland got hurt was they couldn't get nothing on the ground. Kareem Hunt eight carries, twenty-six yards. Jerome Jerome Ford nine carries for seventeen yards. And Joe Flacco three carries, thirteen yards. I mean, that is what Cleveland has been identifying. I mean, obviously Nick Chubb and you know Deshaun Watson are not playing, but they makes no mistake about it. Houston, Houston did their thing. C.J. Stroud, 16 21, 274, three TDs, was not sacked at all. Singletary, uh, Devin Singletary, 13 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. That was the difference in the making. And I think also Houston didn't turn the ball over, and Cleveland did. Cleveland got manhandled, I think. And also, this whole best of player, the best defense player in the world for Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, if I look up my stats right now, Miles Garrett, where's he at? Ah. Miles Garrett, two solo tackles and an assist. No quarterback hits, no sacks, no tackles for a loss. In a game like this, Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett has got to show up. Now, do I think Cleveland Browns people should be worried about Cleveland with Nick Chubb coming back next year, hopefully 100%, and Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I agree. I think you have to watch out for Cleveland. But I also think that, you know, they didn't play well. Houston took advantage of it, and the Texans are going to handle business. And I actually picked Texas to win that game, so I'm happy with that. Chiefs and Dolphins. I thought this game would be a lot closer, but the weather conditions were nuts. Um, Tua didn't play well. Miami didn't run the ball well. Kansas City's defense, like I said on last week's show, Kansas City's defense is very underrated. It doesn't get a lot of love. It doesn't get a lot of things. Uh, Respect because uh, the offense offense with Patrick Mahomes and Poncho and those guys and Kelsey – but Rashad Rice, Rashad Rasheed Rice, all of a sudden caught eight catches for a buck thirty and a touchdown. Um, to me, that shows that they have wide receivers that can shine just a little bit. But outside of that, I mean, Kansas City's defense is the one reason why I won this game. Mahomes, he played solid, twenty three of forty one, two sixty two. He had a touchdown. He wasn't sacked. So Miami just doesn't. Miami was beat up with injuries. And I think they didn't. They just didn't show up and play. And that, to me, is the definition of, you know, you didn't play well enough, and it shows. Uh, Tua Tungavaloa, I am a Tua fan. Do I think Tua should be benched or moved on? No, I think Miami has got to get it on. I think their offensive line is a little suspect. I think they need to figure out the situation with the running game. And I think um, I think Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle have got to be more have got to be healthy and consistent. I think also their defense was really beat up with injuries. 
Miami is now with the Detroit Lions winning their game uh, the other day uh, on Sunday night. We'll get to that in a little bit. The Miami Dolphins are now the longest NFL team without a playoff drought win. I mean, that's crazy. They want to get playoff games since 2000. Sunday game, and I called this one, and people thought I was crazy. I I called the Green Bay Packers beating the Dallas Cowboys. I thought it'd be a close game. I didn't expect an ass whooping, and Green Bay put an ass whooping on the Cowboys. I will state this: I've been a big fan of Jordan Love. I watched Jordan Love play through the year, and obviously they played the Steelers this year. And I told myself Jordan Love can play. Jordan Love has got a lot of ability. He's got a good. He's got a big arm. He's good in the pocket. You can tell he he learned from Aaron Rodgers because a lot of his movements are similar to Aaron Rodgers. But I think the difference in this game wasn't just Love's arm. I think it was Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones running the ball football. Aaron Jones coming to yesterday, coming to Sunday's game had two touchdowns on all season because of his injuries and beat up. Aaron Jones had three against the Cowboys. And now that their defense, I mean, my boy Jair Alexander from the University of Louisville did his little stutter step and got the INT off Dak. Uh, he played well. I think Green Bay came out and with energy and they were ready to play. Matt LaFleur had them ready to go. So Matt LaFleur, all the criticism he got from previous years with the NFC title game against Rodgers, he came out and he, he established. And Green Bay is going to be a problem. Green Bay can continue to consistently get better and add more because their defense is pretty good. I think they, they need some work up front a little bit. I do think the running game, I think if Jones and A.J. Dillon can stay healthy, they might, they can get, they, I think they consistently that helps them. I do think maybe they go out in free agency or the, in the draft and maybe take a run back in the third or fourth round, maybe to get some, re, get some insurance just in case. But Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs did his thing. Uh, Luke Masgrave, they're tied in. I mean, they were, I mean, they were doing things all over the field. And the number one option, who's really is Christian Watson, only had a catch for nine yards. He really he was in the season coming to season was supposed to be the number one option, but Dobbs is the one that took off. Now let's talk about the Cowboys. Who's the finger to point the blame at? Dak did not play well at all. But I will state this: the Cowboys have three good wide receivers. They got one of the best wideouts in the league in C.D. Lamb. I think C.D. Lamb's a top three to five wide receiver in pro football. I really do. C.D. proved that this year. He had a, what do you have, 130? What do you, I mean, you look at C.D.'s stats going into this game. I mean, he, he had nine catches for a buck, Tim, but they were kind of caught up. But if you look at his regular season, he was targeted 181 times. He received 135 catches, 1,700 yards, receiving 13 yards per average, 12 touchdowns. I mean, the guy had... A really, really hell had a really hell of a year, and I think Michael Gallup played well the other day. Gallup was making a lot of catches from Dak, but the the problems and Jake Ferguson's a good tight end, and Brandon Cooks did a little bit, and Tony Pollard, he really never got established on the ground because they went to him early and they were it was working, but they turned the ball over. Dak turned a pick, had a pick on inside of his own twenty, inside of his own twenty. And or no, inside the twenty yard line on a kickoff, turned the ball over to Jair for that led to seven points, and then he threw a pick six at the fifty yard line. I like Dak. I always think Dak gets a bad rep. I think he's solid. I think he has his days. But at the same time, you got to show up in January, man, performing. You have not done that, Dak. You haven't, and that's the problem. Dak Prescott has not shown up and consistently performed at all. That being said, we got to talk about Mike McCarthy. 
Mike McCarthy has had multiple, I think it's two or three 12-win seasons, and he's been bounced out of the first round. The Dallas Cowboys have not been to an NFC Championship game since 1995. I was two years old. The Dallas Cowboys, America's team, the most profitable sports sports industry in America, have literally struggled to even get to the second round, the divisional round. It ain't Mike McCarthy that's the issue. It's the office. It's the owner. It's Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones loves the attention. Jerry Jones absolutely believes that this year's squad reminded him of 1995. Defensively, Micah Parsons, I keep telling I keep hearing people, Micah Parsons is the best defense player in the National Football League. Micah didn't show up. Nobody on the defense showed up. Stephon Gilmore got cooked. No wonder the Colts got rid of him. Seriously, no wonder why the Colts got rid of him. If I'm the Dallas Cowboys, somebody's got to go to Jerry. Said Jerry, you just got to be the owner. You can't be the general manager no more. Somebody has to come in with it got some football background. Jerry needs to hire the guy, and they need to bring somebody in because it's not working. This is not going to work as long as Jerry Jones has that much power. He is the owner, but he's also the team general manager. He can't be that guy and director of football operations. You have to have somebody else there. It's been proven time and time again. Dr. Jerry Buss was a brilliant businessman, but he was not a sports guy. Jerry West was the guy. Jerry West built those Laker teams. Red Arback. He didn't own the Celtics, but he was the director of basketball operations in the 80s when he built the Celtics teams that won championships. You look at the Chicago Bulls. Jerry Krause. We're going to get into that in a little bit, too. I need to put notes on that. Jerry Krause was the general manager. He wasn't the team owner. That is the difference in what the cow. That's the difference. Look at the Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers. Rooney's didn't make those general manager decisions. No. It was it was the general managers. Those are the ones who made the decisions. And the Cowboys have gotten away from that. And it hurts your chemistry and it hurts that a lot. Maybe Michael Parsons can dress that on his podcast this week. I don't know. You know, and I and here's the thing: I'm not a Cowboys fan. They're a rival. The Steelers, Steelers playing three times the Super Bowl. It's a big rivalry between us, or solid rivalry. We rivalry. We don't play each other every year. We are playing this each other this upcoming year all the time. But at the same time, I'm one of them cats where I'm like the Cowboys are not the Cowboys of old. The Cowboys used to strike when you saw the that blue and silver star on your helmet. Dad's telling me back in the day the Cowboys were feared. People feared the Cowboys because they were they were what they were. You know, Staubach and Drew uh, Pearson and those guys. I mean, they had guys. I mean, the Cowboys were the Cowboys. Then you go back and look in the 90s. Look at the athletic, look at the Michael Irvins in the world. Michael, you know, everybody was getting on Michael Irvin for his little, making fun of him for that video he put out where all their asses got to go. And y'all are laughing about it. And that's the problem right there. Michael Irvin, the original 88, is one of the greatest receivers in the history of the National Football League. Easily one of the best receivers of the 90s. Outside Jerry Rice, who's better than Michael Irvin than the 90s? You won't find too many people argue that. I mean, Randy and T.O., they were late 90s, but from that decade on, who is better than Michael Irvin outside Jerry Rice? Probably no one. And people were getting on Michael Irvin about it. Michael Irvin's exactly right. 
That is a prideful thing. He goes, I understood when I came when I got drafted to the Cowboys. I understood what was going on. I understood. I mean, Jimmy Johnson at halftime in Fox Sports on that halftime of that game fired up. You don't think that bothers him seeing the Cowboys like that? The guy won Super Bowls with the Cowboys. You don't think Jimmy Johnson felt that some type of way about that? Like he felt a way? Jimmy is was fired up. Like, you got to get your butts in gear. I'm sure he didn't want to say butts on that. I think he's sure he wanted to say something else. But he's right. There's no pride and joy. What is the pride of saying, well, I'll play for the Dallas Cowboys? Marcus Spears, a former guy who played eight year, who played nine, I believe nine years in the National Football. He played eight years with Dallas, played one year with Baltimore. And he told he said on, on Monday night football countdown the other night that there was a difference from culture wise when I played from eight years of the Cowboys to one year with the Baltimore Ravens. Ozzie Newsman with his general manager, he saw Ozzie, but he didn't see the team over maybe twice, two or three times. That is the difference right then and there of culture and building a culture. And that is the effing problem with the Dallas Cowboys. The culture is not good. Jerry Jerry Jones has got to say, you know what? I got to step away. And Jerry's 81, 82 years of age. Why would you want this stress on yourself? I mean, Jerry's a good guy. I mean, he's a good owner. He's a he's a, one of the best owners in the NFL. Everybody knows that. I mean, people have said things about Jerry, about some of the things he said and some of the things he's done and some of the decisions he's made. But at the same time, you can't fault the guy. I mean, look what he's built in Dallas. I mean, look at that off. Look at the guys he's drafted and brought in. I mean, the guy has a mind for football, but sometimes it's just time to say, you know what? I need to be the owner. I need to promote things. I need to stay out of the spotlight. I need to get away. There's no reason. And Dallas is a media market. I mean, my guy, I think Dallas is one of the top three to five media markets in the country, in the United States. I believe they are. But Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones has, like, after the game, Instead of going to Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Parsons, they're all lined up outside Jerry Jones' suite. They're all lined up out Jerry Jones' suite. Want to get, get some from him. It's like, are you serious? Why are we talking to the owner of the Cowboys? Because Jerry Jones put all the spotlight on him. It's not on his team. It's not on his players. That's the difference. Dallas, I'm telling you, man. That this, it, But here's the thing. As long as Dallas turns a profit... And everything else, Jerry Jones can live with that. If Cowboys fans really gay, stop showing up to games, and I'm not applauding, I'm not supporting that because I deal with a fan base down in Louisville, Kentucky that's like that, and I don't support that at all. I'm saying, but like for example, imagine Cowboy fans start showing up to games and start giving their season tickets away and kept their money. Jerry Jones would be making a change right then and there. His hands would be tied. I'm just saying, like the mediocrity that the Cowboys have done lately. This That's not Cowboys football. You would think the Dallas, I actually thought, after watching them open nine against the Giants, I said, holy shit, they got some speed. CD looks like CD, like I thought he was going to be. Dak looks good. They had a couple of blunders against the 49ers. They blew a game against the Dolphins this year. I said, well, you know, they're going to get the number, Philadelphia's struggling, they get the number two seed. They can get to the divisional round at least. I said, I got, I think they will. And then when I saw them play Green Bay, I said, mm, got a bad feeling about this because Matt LaFleur has done a hell of a job with that the Packers job. Hell of a job. Jerry Jones, you're going to have to make a call here, man. It's time for a change. Rams and the Lions. The most talked about Sunday night game, the game of the playoffs when this first announced. Jared Goff playing against the Rams, and Matt Stafford returns to Detroit. I know there were some questionable play, some calls down the stretch. 
That being said, physical football game, very fun to watch. And I'm going to say this. What is a penalty? What is not a penalty? What is physical? What is not physical? Can somebody name me that? Because there's a difference in the ball game right there. Physical or not physical? Can we? Can we? You you got you got guys that are afraid to hit guys, and when they hit guys, they get flagged. So what is the game? What are we playing now? You're taking defense out of the fucking game. But anyway, I'm not gonna go down the stats of this game. I'm not. I'm just gonna say this. Dan Campbell, when he got the job with the Detroit Lions, I was one of the guys that was applauding his press conference. We're gonna get up. You're gonna knock us down. We're gonna take a. We're gonna take a piece out of your kneecap, and then we're gonna keep fighting and clawing and scratching. And people were like, "He's being malicious," and blah blah blah, and everything else. Matt Skellerman, Colin Cowher, you know, with his little list he has, and everything else he talks with when he wants to make fun of people. When he got fifth list, you know, that whole shebang. And Dan Campbell has done nothing but one game. After you look at the losing season they had where they won three, I think three or four games. They had nine or ten losses that year that were just that were down, that were from were that were single digit losses. They were a win away yesterday for making last year making the playoffs. And look what they did this year. They won a playoff game. They won their division. If I'm the Chicago Bears or the Minnesota Vikings, I'm not worried about Green Bay. I'm worried about Detroit because Detroit is building a culture right now. I, and I'll tell you this right now. I've been to Detroit for SummerSlam. I went to SummerSlam last year. Detroit is got gets a lot of flack. But that little sports area they got, right, and then across the river, they got right across from them, they got the Little Caesars Arena where the Pistons play, and they got the Fox Theater down there, Little Caesars headquarters. But where Tiger Stadium and Ford Field is, it is nice. Ford Field is actually a really nice stadium. Yeah, I mean, I think it was – I don't, I can't remember when it was built. I know the Steelers played a Super Bowl in there in 05, 06. But at the same time, you look at that, the treachery of what – is a I like Ford Field. Ford Field is nice. That being said, congratulations to Detroit Lions on making the playoffs, uh, making the divisional round of playoffs. Uh, two Monday night games. I'm going to talk about the, the night cap game, and now I'm going to finish with the Steelers one. The Eagles have had the, one of the biggest collapse I've seen in recent memories. And Tampa Bay, Baker Mayfield has got them guys playing well, and the defense was playing well too. Um, I mean, I actually like Jalen Hurts. I like a lot of those guys on that team. But the Tampa Bay just whooped their ass. And that was plain and simple. Another thing to talk about is that one of the best human beings in the history of National Football League had his final game. Jesse Kelsey retired after the game. Guy never missed a game or what else, and that performance happened. Nick Scanafani, the uh, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean this real quick. Real quick, sometimes it's okay not to be an asshole and be braggadocious because after walking out of Kansas City, strutting your shift, strutting your shift, and running your mouth, what have you done since then? Oh, that's right. One in six, including a playoff loss, a wild card playoff loss on Monday night. Well, they played a divisional opponent on the road. Okay, they were in prime position, to, they had a lead on that division and they let it go. Piss poor coaching. 
piss poor culture, making it about yourself. You got to change things, Nick. Because let me tell you something. If Doug Peterson is going to get fired for winning a Super Bowl, <laughs> what do you think is happening with your ass? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Also, the Tampa Buccaneers, good shit. Nice little run, y'all. Good stuff. Now let's talk about the Steelers and Buffalo Bills. As I hit my microphone. The Steelers, playing simple, literally dropped the ball with this. Steelers have been beat up with injuries all year long. They fought. They got in the hole. They were they were at one point the third or fourth seed in the AFC. They lost three straight, fell to 11th, and then they ended up winning three straight and got into the playoffs. I had optimism that I felt like we were ready to play. We would be ready to play. The Steelers came out ready to play, I thought. Defensively, we didn't make a stop. But I will state this. Couldn't get the, ground, the running game on the ground going from Najee's point. We did do some other things. I thought Fryerbooth, Deontay Johnson, and George Pickens all did their thing. They did a good job. But I'm going to say this for the final time, and I mean this. You can't turn the ball over on back-to-back possessions and expect to win a football game and give up 14 points off those turnovers. Mason Rudolph took one sack, and he played, I thought, really well. 22 of 39, 229 yards passing. I really felt that Mason did a really good job stepping in the pocket, being mature, and, and delivering things. I think Mason can play, and i like to see Mason get a shot next year at the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think they might let him walk as a Kenny Pickett, but I'd like to see what he does. The Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen is that guy, man. You know, people were saying – Josh Allen didn't make a mistake at all. I mean, the Steelers, I knew this time was turning with the Steelers. We were getting closer and closer on one drive. They, they ended up giving a field goal on, but then I want to talk about third and eight. We forced Josh Allen out of the fucking pocket. He rolls his right. Alex Heisman's chasing him, and Alex Heisman's about a second or two off, and he gets a pass off to Stevon Diggs. And, and plain and simple. That's basically what leads down to a field goal. We end up losing the game. If we, I feel like the Steelers get a stop there. They get a stop there. They get to stop, and it's 24-17. The momentum Steelers having, scoring 10 straight on there, end up scoring, uh, what was it? They scored um, 17 on answer at that point. If the Steelers go down there and score on that drive, stop, get stopped, I think we go down and we tie the game up. I really do. I believe it because we were, we were moving. The ball was moving. Good. Uh, I mean, Buffalo got a win, man. I mean, Buffalo was Buffalo played well. I mean, I don't agree with Josh Allen doing his little fucking bullshit fake slide. I mean, everybody gets on everybody for doing that shit, and the defense froze up. Def- that's why I was saying defense is, defense can't do this. Defense can't do this. They can't do that. They can't do this. They can't do that because of shit like that. We, we protect the quarterback. Miles Jack, I know he had two stupid-ass penalties at the end of the game, but there's a reason why he's on a practice squad right there. Steelers, think about this. You lose T.J. Watt, Quan Alexander, and Corey Holcomb. Your line, your main of your linebacking core. You're not going to win games. Or the Steelers are one and eleven without, without, um, without. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, without T.J. Watt. And I'm going to say it's about Mike Tomlin. You know, there's been talk about Mike Tomlin's going to leave. Mike Tomlin's going to coach Steelers next year. He's got one year left on his contract. Here's what I'm thinking. 
mediocre mic, big non-big game mic, blah, 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 blah. Here's my thing. I'm hard on Tomlin for one reason and one reason only. He hangs on to certain guys on the staff and he's like, oh, Matt Canada should have been fired last year. I've been saying that from the get-go. Matt Canada has no idea what the fuck he's doing. I also think that Big Ben stayed around a little, about two or three years longer than he needed to. They needed to look for a quarterback, and they didn't. I still believe in my heart of hearts that Mike Tomlin is a good football coach. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He's not overrated like that big blub of tar fucking Mac, Mark Madden says in Pittsburgh. That that big goo of shit. I can't stand Mark Madden. But Mark, Tomlin has done a lot of things well in Pittsburgh. But the one thing that had flaws him, somebody put a, a, a tweet out about how his all his playoff losses were going, his recent ones since 2016. And Tomlin has had some injury issues. They're 3-8 since 20, 2010. And everything else. People say, well, you need to have change. It's hard to walk away from winning seasons. Tomlin's done a hell of a job. People want, and TJ Watt made it clear today in a press conference. That was in my contract. I don't want to play with nobody else but Mike Tomlin. So if you fire Mike Tomlin, you lose TJ Watt. That's the problem right there. TJ Watt's your franchise. TJ Watt's the best defensive player in the National Football League, and it showed the other night that we needed him. Because how many times it'd be third and three and TJ Watt makes a play or something? Steelers got some question, questions on offense, and besides Mike Tomlin, Cameron Hayward's dirt $13, 14000000 million. Are you going to let Cameron Hayward go? Are you going to sign some guys? The Steelers are, in my opinion, the, the three things that I would address with the Steelers, an OC and a DC, because it's time for Tyrell Austin as a defensive coordinator. I think he's kind of, eh. I think the Steelers' defense, we need we get killed by tight ends a lot. We need a couple coverage linebackers. We need somebody at the coverage linebacker that can cover some guys that can make some plays. Another thing that I think needs to be talked about, and I mean this, you look at you look at uh, offensive coordinators. Frank Wright and Brian Leftwich are out there without jobs. Interview them. And see what you like. I think Frank Wright would do really well with the, the with here in, there in Pittsburgh, and I still believe, I still believe that Byron Leftwich would be the guy to go to. But if not Byron Leftwich, I would go get Frank Wright, or get somebody young who's a quarterback coach somewhere that can help with bring an offense and bring it in. I think it would be good. And the punting situation. Harvin is Percy Harvin has got or whatever his name is has got to go, man. My God, that kills us every time. He can't flip the field. He can't flip the field. He cannot flip the fucking field. Like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, can we can we It's frustrating. Frustrating. Very frustrating. And I also think Calvin Austin can be the third receiver we got to look for him more. Okay. So we got four playoff games left. And this is what we're going with. Texas at Ravens. I'm rolling Lamar. Just rolling Lamar. The Packers at the 49ers. San Francisco is a nine-point favorite. Nine-and-a-half points, so ten points. I think Green Bay covers. But I think 49ers pull it off. Buccaneers at the Lions. I'm taking the Lions. I think the Lions get a win. Chiefs at Bills. Patrick Mahomes' first world playoff game. 
And Patrick Mahomes pulls it off and gets a win against the Buffalo Bills. Yep, I really believe it. So here's my NFL here's my NFL playoff recap. I want to give a special shout out to Card Nation. That is Louisville Cardinal Nation for the support on Twitter. It's been outstanding. And I'm gonna take a break from Louisville Talk for right now. And I'm gonna tell you some things that I got. So Everybody knows me. I had just recently signed with Cinem- uh, did a uh, subscription with Cinemark. I am going to start going to theaters more often to review movies. Obviously, with the TikTok and YouTube and the YouTube channel coming up, I am getting that going. But I did do a top 10 most anticipated list for this year for non-horror films. And everybody knows I'm a big horror fan. And my top 10 most anticipated horror films for the year. So I'm going to do my top 10 most anticipated. And I did top 10 and I did 5 more honorable mentions. So, we'll start with the honorable mentions. At number five, Madam Web. Sony has their Spider-Verse they're doing. I'm going to check it out. And I'm going to give it a shot and see what it's about. Sony has been hit or miss, but we'll see. That's why it's at number five. Number four, the honorable mentions. Love Leads, Love Lies Bleeding. It's got Kirsten Stewart in it. It's a, an A24 film. And it's a crime. I think it's a crime thriller film with a female bodybuilder. And, and Kirsten Stewart is in it. Just had my attention. And I'm going to check it out. Number three, Craven the Hunter. Again, another Sony film that's been pushed back. I want to see what this does. Reading Craven the Hunter in the comics growing up, I think it would be an interesting take. We'll see what happens. Number two, Beverly Hills Cops Axel F. The fourth Beverly Hills Cop film with Eddie Murphy. It's coming on Netflix. I grew up a massive Beverly Hills Cops fan. I mean, you know, Eddie put a banana in the tailpipe. Like, that was probably the... uh, Everything that I grew up watching. And I'm very, very excited to see what they're going to do. Because Eddie's had some recently good movies. I mean, the Dolanite movie was really good. You People was good with him and Jonah Hill. I mean, Amer- Coming to America 2 was solid. I haven't seen his new film that's on Amazon Prime. But I am excited to see what this one is. And, of course, honorable mention, number one, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. And this is why it's honorable mention. I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. I have not watched any of the new trilogy for the Pet Planet of the Apes. I hear people right now, what the fuck you mean? I haven't watched them, and I'm going to watch them because I really want to see them. I keep hearing great. They're visually, they're great films. I want to watch them, so I'm going to check it out. So my top 10 most anticipated films for movie 2024. Number 10, The Bike Riders. Tom Hardy and Austin Butler, who played Elvis, are in this film. It's based off a Chicago gang. There's a bike gang in the, 90, in the 60s or 70s. Anytime I see Tom Hardy and something, I got to check it out. So I'm excited to see. Number nine, Bad Boys 4. I like the Bad Boys. I think, and I'll be honest, it should have been Bad Boys 3 and Bad Boys for Life in the fourth one. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this. Number eight, Deadpool 3. Even though everything, and the reason why it's number eight and it's not higher is because everybody's been fucking spoiling it. And I think I just, I want to see Deadpool 3, see Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds play Wolverine and Deadpool on screen. It's going to be awesome. Number seven, Ballerina. Ballerina, which is a spinoff of the John Wick series. Anybody knows me? I'm a massive John Wick fan, so I'm excited to see what that. Six, Back to Black, the Amy Winehouse biopic. Amy Winehouse was one of the most talented uh, singers from my era, and I've always been fascinated with with her music. And I'm gonna check. I'm gonna see this biopic, see what it's about, and check it out. Number five, Dune Two. Dune Two. Uh, I the original Dune, not the original from the seventies, but the the one that came out. Back in 2021, 2022. Visually, I thought it was a beautiful film. Stunning. 
I'm excited to see what they're doing done too. I know they got three or four more chapters, I believe, but I'm excited what to see. Number four, Bob Marley, One Love. Again, I like biopics, and I'm very interested to see how it is. It comes out Valentine's Day weekend, so I'm going to try and go see it later that weekend, but we're going to check it out. My top three, and these were hard, man, because I kept flipping back and forth. But number three, Godzilla versus Kong, The New Empire. I know it's technically a horror film, but it's technically not in the States. So I put it in here. Godzilla versus Kong. I'm a creature feature fanatic. And to see Godzilla versus Kong fight each other against two new titans is going to be pretty awesome. Number two, Friosha. Friosha, a Mad Max saga. A prequel to the Mad Max Fury Road film. Um, visually looks good. And I like the Mad Max film. So of course I'm going to keep it on. And number one, Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. I was genuinely shocked and surprised how well I liked and loved, actually loved the new Ghostbusters sequel that came out a couple years ago. I was very, very happy with it. Very, very ecstatic with it. And it's just a really, really good thing, man. And I'm excited that we're going to see, that they're getting the sequel. And I am, uh, there is a little teaser that my boy Slimer is going to be in this. And I'm, I'm excited for that. Now for the horror films. Rub my hands together. So, like again, Five honorable mentions, five of my top ten most anticipated. Number five, honorable mentions. And I thought about this, but I said, you know, it's going to be a piss poor film, but I got to see how bad it's going to be. Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Anybody that's seen the Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey 2, you would know this. That Blood and Honey, that film is dog shit. It's horrible. Me and my girlfriend sat down and watched it one night. She just goes, oh, my God. Like, this is fucking horrible. And she wanted to see it, too. But we watched it, and it was piss poor, and it was horrible. The second one, we're going to get to see Tigger and the Owl. So we're going to see more characters now. We're going to see what happens. Number four, The Toxic Avenger. Now, I have never seen the original Toxic Avenger, and I plan on watching the original Toxic Avenger before going into the new one. I will state this. I know it's a B horror film that's pretty bad. It's got its fan base. But that being said, I'm going to watch it just for the hell of it because I know it's going to have a hell of a audience. Number three, Horoscope. Not know much about this film, but I know that it is a. It is a. It's a. Based on a horror novel. It's got a couple. Uh, I know they got the. They got a couple characters. I can't think of their names right now, but I know what I saw. Horoscope is going to be something I'm going to check out. Number two, the first Oa, a prequel to the original Oa movie. I'm not a big fan of prequels to original horror films, especially classic ones like the Oa, but we're going to see it. And number one, Saw XL, Saw 11. After the Saw X was so damn good, it shocked me last year how good it was. Saw X 11, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. And I'm hopefully they get on the right track with this. Number 10. On my most anticipated, most anticipated horror films for 2024. Get it out. Number 10, Lisa Frankenstein. A horror comedy. And uh, I seen a little bit. I saw the poster. And the, I said, horror comedy. And I checked it out. And like, I'm here to see what they're going to do with this. Number 9, Blumhouse. film called Imaginary, where your imagination takes over your, your madness, brother. Blumhouse is hit or miss sometimes with horror films. But I'm going to give it a chance and see what happens. Number eight, Strangers Chapter One. The original Strangers, big fan. Pray at Night, the sequel, solid. They are doing a three-chapter film. 
That's why chapter two and three are not on this on my list because we don't know how chapter one is going to go. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens. Seven, quiet day, a quiet, quiet day, a quiet place. Day one, a prequel to the original quiet place. The first quiet place, excuse me. Big fan of the first quiet place. Thought part two was really good as well. So I think this is going to be really good to see how actually everything unfolded. And they teased it in the second film when it happened. But we're going to see when the prequel happens. Number five, uh, number six, Alien Rolumus. I, when I speak creature features, you can't get better than Alien. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this. I kind of want to see them bring back Rhea, uh, Rip, uh, bring back Ripley and finish that story the right way because Alien 3 is fucking god-awful. And Resurrection's okay. I mean, you, have, you can have a good time with it, but it's not that good. But I am excited to see what they're going to do with that. Top five, baby, and this was hard. Top, number five, The Wolfman. Yes, The Wolfman from the 40s. They are remaking that film, and I must admit... I am a sucker for the Universal Black and White Classic Monster movies. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with the Wolfman. But I'm going to state this. Don't fuck this up, please. Because the Wolfman remake we got in 2010 with Anthony Hopkins and Belladette Del Toro and Emily Blunt, Emily Blunt was really fucking good, I thought. I don't understand why they didn't fucking continue more with it. Number four, Maxine. The third of the... X and Trip uh, X and Pearl trilogy takes place in the eighties. There is that picture of Max of of Mia Goth as walking the streets, and you got her, her with Hazley. I've seen the teaser. We haven't seen a trailer yet or anything, but it does take place in the eighties, and I am excited to see what they're going to do. Now, top three. This was really fucking hard, man, because these are three films that have a lot of history in recent memory. One has been one is a sequel. That has been asked for for almost thirty years. The other one is a is a a, a third film of a trilogy recently that I feel like is coming out quicker than the second one, and I'm I got my fingers crossed on it. And two and the and the third one is a film that is a classic from the the early nineteen teens that or the twenties, and that has been remaked a couple times in a different way. I thought about it, thought about it. Thought about it, and I'm going to say I'm going to roll with it. Terrifier 3 is my number three. Arthur Clown has recently brought back a little momentum. Grunge-style, cheap horror films, bloody and violent. To see what they're going to do with this. Terrifier 1 I thought was really good. Terrifier 2 blew me away how great it is. But Terrifier 3 taking place on Christmas. It's going to be interesting, man. Mind Clowns are kind of creepy anyway, and Arthur Clown is very creepy. Number two is Nosferatu. And when you got the re- we heard a remake a couple times. I know it had a remake in the seventies, and they had a film that was based on that the vampire was real. So I will state this: the remake. We haven't seen anything of Nosferatu. We have seen a little clips of a scene of Lily Dale Rose looking at her, looking at her in the distance, and it looks like this the thing. Nosferatu, the original one, the nineteen twenties, is still terrifying. There's a lot of things that are scary about that film, and it's very creepy. And I think it will be a really, really good movie, whatever. But my number one is a film that I've been asking for for 30 years. I got this fucker tattooed on my elbow, Beetlejuice 2. It's a horror film. I don't care what anybody says. Beetlejuice 2 is a fucking horror film. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do. And I can't wait to see what happens. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do. And it's going to be a hell of a sequel. And I think, and just hear, see that walk and that, it's showtime. 
And you hear that Jana Ortega recently said in an article that they had a lot of fun on set. It's going to be a good time. They didn't do a lot of CGI, which makes me very happy. So those are my top 10 most anticipated films for both the horror genre and separate from that. So we're going to rock and roll with that. All right. And let's go back to the playoff notes. So let's talk a little Louisville Cardinal basketball. Jeff Brom doing his thing in the portal. I don't need to talk about that right now because it's not a main subject to talk about. I'll talk about that when I want to talk about that. Louisville went down there this past Wednesday against a week ago against Miami. They were a 16.5 point underdog, 17 points. And Louisville came out and won that game by 9 points. Finished the game on a 9 0 run to win the deal. And Louisville did their thing and played well. And got stops and did what they had to do. NC State came out Saturday, came out flat, didn't play well, and fought and got back into it and still lost the game by seven or eight points. And there's still talk about certain guys getting jobs and certain guys are going to be fired. Certain guys are going to be left go. Here's my thing. Kenny Payne is going to get a third year where people like it or not. Kenny Payne deserves a third year. They're going now. I know they played North Carolina tomorrow night on Wednesday, which is going to be if you hear this today, which is tonight. And they are a twenty-three and a half point underdog. Louisville's going to cover that for sure. They will cover that, and I guarantee they will cover that. Now, Louisville's going to come out and play their asses off. They're going to play hard. Now, do I expect them to win at North Carolina? No, it's going to be hard. That being said, Louisville. Will be Louisville again, and Kenny Pickett, Kenny Pickett, Kenny, Kenny Payne is starting to turn the corner. He's starting to turn things around. People say, why it takes so long? Sometimes it takes time to develop. I got some heat for what I said. Eric Munslin is known as the king of the portal, right? He grabs everybody from the portal, everybody from the portal. Arkansas is like 8-7, eight 8-6 and seven, eight and six right now. They got a winning record. You know why? Remember Kenny Payne had that interview on John Rossi's podcast about building a foundation first and then going to the portal? He's going to do that. And what he means by that is, look who he brought in. Curtis Williams. Caleb Glenn, who are contributing well. Sky Clark, who's a, basically a freshman still, even though he's a sophomore. He didn't play that much. Bringing in Trey White as a sophomore. Four key guys right there. And Tyler Johnson is a freshman. So five key guys he brought in that are young. To build in with this culture. You don't think he's going to go to the portal next year and be like, hey guys, come fit in. He's going to, Kenny Payne is going to get his guys, whether people like it or not. He's going to get the guys he needs to get to build a program back. And they're slowly taking. You go back and look at the Pittsburgh game. If we don't turn the ball over fucking 18 times to give it 28 points off turnovers, we win the Pittsburgh game. Turnovers killed us. That's what happened. And that's the truth. I'm not talking anymore about it. I'll talk about it next week more on the podcast. But I'm letting you know right here right now, Kenny Payne is going to get a third year whether you like it or the fucking media down there likes it. And it was, and I heard what old Marble Mouth uh, Goodman wrote an article about Kenny Payne's the worst hire of the 2000s. I don't know. Well, we go look at New Mexico State where we had players shooting each other and almost killing each other and they had to shut down a whole damn program. Let's look at that. Jesus Christ. I want to thank everyone, side note, for the TNA wrestling episode that came out this past, this past, this past, um, 
this past Monday and I really think or Sunday and I really appreciate everybody checking it out I got a lot of good feedback on it it's actually the highest downloaded show I've had in recent memory of a to get to double digits which is basically 10, 10 more downloads and I like like to think that's a hell of an idea and how of a, a precedent I'm setting um, I enjoy it and I think it's doing a great job um, I think TNA did a hell of a show on Hard to Kill like I said on my review I, I gave it a good score I was honest I gave it a good score I thought that being said, January 28th, baby, that's Sunday morning. When you get up at 9 o'clock, you get your breakfast. Don't listen, don't listen to, don't turn on the news. Don't turn on Sports Center. Turn on my Conversation with Shovel Green podcast. Turn on my Royal Rumble review because that's right. The same thing that I did for TNA Hard to Kill, I am doing for the Royal Rumble. I'm excited for it. It's time for we're going to rock and roll with it. And I have a couple announcements to make. I have been in contact with a guy named Jeremy Blessed, who is a local Louisville guy who has his own thing, Carnal Sports Podcast, and we have talked, and he has made it clear, we've had a conversation, he says we got to get you on here, and plain and simple, ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to announce that I am going to be working with the Carnal Sports Zone Podcast as a guest for now. I will be featured more heavily on that program and be in more of the conversation and chats with him. And also, I am officially in the Ringside Ringside Podcast Wrestlers Chat as well, and I am going to be interested on being on a couple of episodes there. So Jeremy's making some moves for me. We rock and roll, and I have been in contact with some local media. I actually have sources now. I actually have sources now. And I'm very happy and proud to be working with these guys, and we're going to rock and roll with that. That's all I got for this week. I appreciate you guys every week like always. And just remember, like I always say, I don't bullshit. I just tell it like it is straight up. Have a good one, y'all.